Every person, whether they realize it or not, has a worldview. A worldview is simply a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of our experiences. Like putting on a pair of glasses, these ideas shape our perspectives and solidify our sense of meaning and purpose. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street, and when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Here's our main point. Make sure your worldview comes from God's Word and not from the world. Hey, how many of you wear glasses or contacts? Go ahead and raise your hands. Yeah, you can tell I do. Actually, we all use lenses to view the world around us. Let me illustrate. So for some of us, we approach the world through the lens of politics. And so we put red glasses on. And we see everything through that lens. For others of us, well, we put blue glasses on. And that's how we view our world. For others of us, we see the world through glasses like this. These would be Green Bay Packer glasses. And others with blue glasses for the bears. It's interesting. uh, We have a block party twice a year in our neighborhood. It's been a wonderful way to get to know our neighbors. And several months ago, we planned a block party for this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And this last week, I said to Beth, I said, Beth, we have a problem. Because the Packers and the Bears play. I'm the only Packers fan in our neighborhood. And I knew these Bears fans wouldn't come to the block party if the game was on. And so I I met with one of my neighbors and I said, we have a problem. How can we solve it? We have it solved. We have a TV and an antenna. So we're moving forward. (laughs) For some of us in our culture today, we put on gender glasses And for some, gender has become fluid and glasses are taken off and put back on today. Some today see their world through rose-colored glasses and then for others, well, we see the world through dark glasses. We're pessimistic and, and down on things and even down on people and And there's people today trying on like all sorts of glasses, like I'm going to see the world this way and maybe this will satisfy and maybe that will meet my needs and oh, here's a new thing and here's something my friend's into and and so we, we exchange glasses, we view things in different ways. Well, at its most basic level, a worldview is the lens through which we see through which we define, and through which we make judgments about the world around us. It's the framework from which we view reality and make sense of reality. Jeff Myers, who's president of Summit Ministries, defines worldview like this, quote, a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. Well, for some of us, we hear a definition and we immediately forget it. So let me illustrate. Imagine a two-year-old A two-year-old believes he or she is the center of their world. 
a secular humanist? Well, he or she believes that the material world is all that exists. Well, let's go to the realm of world religions. Let me just pick one. A Buddhist believes he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. Last week, Beth and I were out in Virginia visiting our four grandchildren. And one morning I was out for a run and I was running in this neighborhood and I noticed a sign in the yard as I was running. And so I kind of glanced at it, kept running, and then turned around and went back and read the sign a little more carefully and took a picture of it. Because this sign represents the worldview of the people who live there. This is what the sign says. We believe science is real. Women's rights are human rights. Black lives matter. No person is illegal. Love is love. Diversity makes us stronger. And it hit me. For these homeowners, they're saying this is what we believe. This is how we see the world. But for many people that you and I interact with, we're not sure what glasses they have on. Now, before we go much further, we're in a, kicking off a new series, and here's why. Because seismic shifts have hit our society. Years ago, change was like this. We were going south as a culture, as a society. Everyone could sense it. But now, this has happened. Boom. We've gone like straight down, like off the cliff. That which has always been good is now declared evil. That which is evil is now declared good. And as a result, people are shaken. They're unmoored from truth. Believers even unsettled in their faith. And some have gone off the cliff with others. King David asked a question in Psalm 11, verse 3. It resonates with many of us today. Perhaps you've asked it. If the foundations are destroyed, what in the world can the righteous do? How do we respond when everything is imploding and exploding around us? This verse can also be translated like this. If the foundations are destroyed, then what have the righteous done? In other words, what have we done to contribute to that? Well, in our present cultural environment, it is imperative, church, for us to be convictional. It's time. It's time for us to be courageous and stand up for what is true and to make sure we're compassionate because we don't want to just be angry. We don't want to just fight with people or argue with people. No, we want to be compassionate and so we can communicate the gospel to those who need to hear it. In short, we want to know what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can communicate it to others. We want to be unshaken in our faith. That's Psalm 62.2, and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Romans 1.16. So grounded in truth, lived out in God's grace, our faith in Christ will change our lives and ultimately help transform the Quad Cities. Like, I really believe that. 
See, if all of us are transformed in our context of relationships, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our campuses, God can do an amazing, mighty work here in our own community. Here's the topics we're going to be addressing today, why worldview matters, and then the real reality, who Jesus is, the timelessness of truth, your identity is essential. That is a huge topic today, identity. Being salt and light in society, and then our last message, putting it all into practice. Here's our main point for today. What you believe about God's word will determine how you view the world around you. If your worldview does not come from God's word, listen, get this, mark this, it will by default come from the world. Now, sadly, according to George Barna, the percentage of those with a biblical worldview has been declining in each successive generation. If you can look at this without tears forming in your eyes, without this not being like a gut punch, you need to ask God, well, let me just point this out. 10% of boomers have a biblical worldview. The next generation, Gen Z, Gen X, 7%. Millennials, 6%. Look at the youngest generation, 4%. That should rock us. That should bother us deeply. It should trouble us. George Barna, who does surveys all the time, he's always releasing studies. He was asked to summarize these findings. He gave a one-word answer, frightening. These results generated a lot of stories in the media. The Christian Post ran an article with this headline, quote, Biblical Worldview Much Closer to Extinction. The news continues to get worse. According to the American Worldview Inventory that came out this summer, that's how fresh it is, like June, two months ago. Listen to these alarming trends. The share of the population, so if you put all the generations together that claims to hold a biblical worldview, fell from 6% to 4%. In the last three years. And look at this next one. The share of born again believers. Who say. They are deeply committed to practicing their faith. Has fallen from 85%. To 50%. Friends settle this. What you believe about God's word. Will determine how you view the world. Around you. And if your worldview does not come from God's world, it will, by default, come from the world. Now, perhaps this diagram will help explain the importance of worldview. Simply put, our worldview, our view of the world, affects our reality. It affects what we believe. It affects our values. And it affects how we behave. Now, all of this is so important because our view of the world helps us make sense of life's biggest questions. Let me just choose five. Origin. Where do I come from? 
identity. Like, who am I? Meaning, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Morality, how should I live? And finally, destiny, what happens when I die? Now, to take this topic of worldview, which for some of us, we're having a hard time kind of grabbing, what does that really mean? Let me flesh it out into eight popular worldviews today. And as I go through these, bring to mind people you know who hold these views. And if you're courageous, ask yourself if any of these views have come into your life. Pragmatism. I want whatever works for me. If it works, I'm in. Individualism. My interests are the center of reality. Three, consumerism. Uh, My worth is tied to what I own, to what I drive, to where I live. Naturalism. Since this world is all there is, I can live like I want. Moral relativism. My truth is more important than absolute truth if there even is absolute truth. Oh, here's a big one. Hedonism. My goal is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Yeah, that's what I'm after. I want to buzz. I want fun. I want to be happy. And if there's anything painful, I'm avoiding that. And if a substance will help me get there and avoid this, then so be it. If there's an experience out there that's going to be a blast, I'm all about it. Or how about this? Nihilism. My life has no meaning. I just do what I want. And this last one is a phrase made popular about 10 years ago. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Well, let me start with deism. At its core, it's the belief that there is a God or there might be a God, but if there is, he's not involved in my life. He's out there somewhere. But he wants my problems to be solved. And he wants me to be good. Yeah, he wants me to be nice to others. Well, I'm afraid that one has infiltrated the evangelical church in general. As we've gone through these, perhaps you've been thinking of those around you and perhaps you yourself have allowed some of these to creep in. Apologist Frank Turek describes our challenge today. Uh, Most people today are not on a truth quest. So when the Lord saved me by his grace for his glory, it was in a college environment, University of Wisconsin at Madison. There was a lot of different views there. And at the time, as a new Christian, I got a lot of exposure to apologetics, which is how do you defend our faith? What are the reasons for what we believe Like Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Josh McDowell came out with a second book, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I loved it. I ate it up. And it's so important. But listen to what Frank Turek says about people today. Most people are not on a truth quest. They don't care. What are they looking for? Happiness. 
They're on a happiness quest. Whatever is going to make them happy, they're going to believe. Let me draw our attention to one of the discussion questions in, uh, for our growth groups that will be wrestling with this week. This is question number eight. By the way, we're out of the printed copies, uh, but there might be some more in the kiosk for the discussion questions for today. We'll have more of these. These also will be on our app and our website as PDF uh, versions. So question eight. Someone has said Christians suffer from multiple worldview disorder. Give some examples of how believers mix and match their beliefs, even if they are contradictory. Our preaching passage today is going to challenge us. Here's the challenge to view everything through the lens of God's word in order to be transformed. Because if we're not intentional about that, we will end up becoming conformed to the world. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. And I'm going to take us to Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Before we read this passage, let me just say... Two things. First is, some of you, when you heard what the passage is, you're like, I got that one down, nailed that one some time ago, heard a bunch of sermons on this passage, and you may think, I already know it, got it. Don't do that. (laughs) Secondly, in order to fully understand this, we need to go back at least one verse. We could go back many more, but let me take us back to how chapter 11 ends. For from him and through him, And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right, now let's read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can be seated. I see seven ways in this passage for you and I to develop a biblical worldview. Here's the first place to start. Respond to God's urgent appeal. Now, based on the doxology found at the end of chapter 11, Paul says this phrase, I appeal to you. He could have put this in a command. He could have said, I command you. He doesn't say that. He makes an appeal. That means to call near, to invite, to beseech, to persuade someone to do something that they have not yet done. The Amplified Bible renders it like this. I beg of you. So there's a challenge here, a a challenge for a decision of our wills. Number two, allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. The next phrase, therefore, brothers. Whenever we see the word therefore, we should ask, what is it therefore? Here's what Paul is doing. He's building on his argument through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. He does the same thing in Ephesians. He has all this rich doctrine, and then the transition is to, is to how do we live this out in our life? You see that also in the book of Colossians. So he's moving from creed to conduct. 
from principles to practice, from exposition to exhortation, from belief to behavior, from doctrine to duty. Don't forget the first two letters of the word doctrine spell do, D-O, we are called to do. Theology is never meant to be cold and lifeless. It must have a practical application. He's saying something like this. Based on your position in Christ, this is what you now need to put into practice. Or to say it another way, what you believe about the Bible determines your beliefs and your behavior. Notice he refers to his readers as brothers. That's such a tender word. In the Greek, it means from the same womb. We share a womb. Those of us who are born again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is appealing to believers, not unbelievers here, but to believers to do something they've not yet done. Number three, be motivated by God's mercy. The plea mercies. The plea is based on the mercies of God. Would you observe this is in the plural? It refers to God's multitude of mercies. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, God is referred to as the father of mercies. He's not merciful just once, but again and again. Aren't you glad about that? He is consistently and constantly full of mercy. In fact, the word mercy is used five times in Romans chapter 9. In chapter 11, verses 30 and 32, you see it four times. But now have received mercy. By the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy, that he may have mercy on all. John Calvin said, We will never worship with a sincere heart or serve God with unbridled zeal until we properly understand how much we are indebted to God's mercy. God has demonstrated so much mercy to us that we can't help but respond by surrendering our lives fully to him. Isaac Watts captured it so well. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Now, many of us think we have to do penance or perform to get God's mercy. (laughs) We have it all backwards. God gives a multitude of mercies apart from anything we do, but this should cause us to surrender everything we are and sacrifice everything we have. One pastor says it like this, indeed, the extent to which we do not offer ourselves to God reflects the extent to which we do not understand the depth and significance of God's mercy. Most of us know we've been forgiven, but many of us overestimate our goodness. Ouch is right, and we underestimate the amount of mercy that we've received. It's interesting, Paul doesn't say in light of God's grace, he focuses on God's mercy. Why is that? God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve, whereas mercy keeps us from getting what we do deserve. If I received what I deserve... I'd end up in hell. Every one of us. Don't you think you're a pretty good person because the Bible says you're not. We're all sinners and the wage of sin is death. You do nothing. You just try to live a regular life, even a good life. You will end up in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. So apart from the mercy of God, that's where we are headed. 
One of the lines from a song that we sing often here, my sins, they are many. His mercies are more. So, in view of God's multiple, multiplied, and multifaceted mercies, we must voluntarily and enthusiastically respond by submissively offering our lives to him. Because what you believe about God's word will determine how you view the world around you. And if your worldview does not come from God's word, if you're just trying different glasses on, if you're just living for yourself, if you're not getting your worldview from God's word, it will come from the world. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.